The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. Being an account of their adventures in the strange places of the earth after the foundering of the good ship Glen Carrig through striking upon a hidden rock in the unknown seas to the southward, as told by John Winterstraw, gentleman, to his son James Winterstraw in the year 1757, and by him committed very properly and legibly to manuscript. Chapter 5 The Great Storm Now, as I have said, we came at last in safety to the open sea, and so for a time had some degree of peace, though it was long ere we threw off all the terror which the land of lonesomeness had cast over our hearts. And one more matter there is regarding that land which my memory recalls. It will be remembered that George found certain wrappers upon which there was writing. Now, in the haste of our leaving, he had given no thought to take them with him, yet a portion of one he found within the side pocket of his jacket, and it ran somewhat thus. But I hear my lover's voice wailing in the night, and I go to find him. For my loneliness is not to be borne. May God have mercy upon me. And that was all. For a day and a night we stood out from the land towards the north, having a steady breeze to which we set our lug sails, and so made very good way, the sea being quiet, though with a slow, lumbering swell from the southward. It was on the morning of the second day of our escape that we met with the beginnings of our adventure into the silent sea, the which I am about to make as clear as I am able. The night had been quiet and the breeze steady until near on to the dawn when the wind slacked away to nothing, and we lay there waiting, perchance the sun should bring the breeze with it, and this it did, but no such wind as we did desire. For when the morning came upon us, we discovered all that part of the sky to be full of a fiery redness, which presently spread away down to the south, so that an entire quarter of the heavens was, as it seemed to us, a mighty arc of blood-colored fire. Now, at the sight of these omens, the boatswain gave orders to prepare the boats for the storm which we had reason to expect looking for it in the south, for it was from that direction that the swell came rolling upon us. With this intent we roused out so much heavy canvas as the boats contained, for we had gotten a bolt and a half from the hulk in the creek. Also the boat covers, which we could lash down to the brass studs under the gunnels of the boats. Then in each boat we mounted the whaleback, which had been stowed along the tops of the thwarts, also its supports, lashing the same to the thwarts below the knees. Then we laid two lengths of the stout canvas the full length of the boat over the whaleback, 
overlapping and nailing them to the same, so that they sloped away down over the gunnels upon each side as though they had formed a roof to us. Here, whilst some stretched the canvas, nailing its lower edges to the gunnel, others were employed in lashing together the oars and the mast, and to this bundle they secured a considerable length of new three-and-a-half-inch hemp rope, which we had brought away from the hulk along with the canvas. This rope was then passed over the bows, and in through the painter ring, and thence to the forward thwarts, where it was made fast, and we gave attention to parcel it with odd strips of canvas against the danger of chafe. And the same was done in both of the boats, for we could not put our trust in the painters, besides which they had not sufficient length to secure safe and easy riding. Now by this time we had the canvas nailed down to the gunwale around our boat, after which we spread the boat cover over it, lacing it down to the brass studs beneath the gunwale. And so we had all the boat covered in, save a place in the stern where a man might stand to wield the steering oar, for the boats were double-bowed, and in each boat we made the same preparation, lashing all movable articles, and preparing to meet so great a storm as might well fill the heart with terror, for the sky cried out to us that it would be no light wind, and further the great swell from the south grew more huge with every hour that passed, though as yet it was without virulence, being slow and oily and black against the redness of the sky. Presently we were ready, and had cast over the bundle of oars and the mast, which was to serve as our sea anchor, and so we lay waiting. It was at this time that the boatswain called over to Josh certain advice with regard to that which lay before us, and after that the two of them sculled the boats a little apart, for there might be a danger of their being dashed together by the first violence of the storm. And so came a time of waiting, with Josh and the boatswain each of them at the steering oars, and the rest of us stowed away under the coverings. From where I crouched near the boatswain, I had sight of Josh away upon our port side. He was standing up black as a shape of night against the mighty redness. When the boat came to the foamless crowns of the swells, and then gone from sight in the hollows between. Now midday had come and gone, and we had made shift to eat so good a meal as our appetites would allow, for we had no knowledge how long it might be ere we should have chance of another, if indeed we had ever need to think more of such. And then, in the middle part of the afternoon, we heard the first cryings of the storm, a far distant moaning rising and falling most solemnly. Presently, all the southern part of the horizon, so high up maybe as some seven to ten degrees, was blotted out by a great black wall of cloud, over which the red glare came down upon the great swells as though from the light of some vast and unseen fire. It was about this time, I observed, that the sun had the appearance of a great full moon, 
being pale and clearly defined, and seeming to have no warmth nor brilliancy, and this, as may be imagined, seemed most strange to us, the more so because of the redness in the south and east. And all this while the swells increased most prodigiously, though without making broken water, yet they informed us that we had done well to take so much precaution, for surely they were raised by a very great storm. A little before evening the moaning came again, and then a space of silence, after which there rose a very sudden bellowing as of wild beasts, and then once more the silence. About this time, the boatswain making no objection, I raised my head above the cover until I was in a standing position, for until now I had taken no more than occasional peeps, and I was very glad of the chance to stretch my limbs, for I had grown mightily cramped. Having stirred the sluggishness of my blood, I sat me down again, but in such position that I could see every part of the horizon without difficulty. Ahead of us, that is to the south, I saw now that the great wall of cloud had risen some further degrees, and there was something less of the redness, though indeed what there was left of it was sufficiently terrifying, for it appeared to crest the black cloud like red foam, seeming, it might be, as though a mighty sea made ready to break over the world. Towards the west, the sun was sinking behind a curious red-tinted haze which gave it the appearance of a dull red disk. To the north, seeming very high in the sky, were some flecks of cloud lying motionless, and of a very pretty rose color. And here I may remark that all the sea to the north of us appeared to be a very ocean of dull red fire, though, as might be expected, the swells coming up from the south against the light were so many exceeding great hills of blackness. It was just after I had made these observations that we heard again the distant roaring of the storm, and I know not how to convey the exceeding terror of that sound. It was as though some mighty beast growled far down towards the south, and it seemed to make very clear to me that we were but two small craft in a very lonesome place. Then, even while the roaring lasted, I saw a sudden light flare up, as it were from the edge of the southern horizon. It had somewhat the appearance of lightning, yet vanished not immediately, as is the want of lightning. And more, it had not been my experience to witness such spring up from out of the sea, but rather down from the heavens. Yet I have little doubt but that it was a form of lightning, for it came many times after this, so that I had chance to observe it minutely. And frequently, as I watched, the storm would shout at us in a most fearsome manner. Then, when the sun was low upon the horizon, there came to our ears a very shrill screaming noise, most penetrating and distressing. And immediately afterwards, the boatswain shouted out something in a hoarse voice and commenced to sway furiously upon the steering oar. I saw his stare fixed upon a point a little on our larboard bow, 
and perceived that in that direction the sea was all blown up into vast clouds of dust-like froth, and I knew that the storm was upon us. Immediately afterwards a cold blast struck us, but we suffered no harm, for the bosun had gotten the boat bows on by this. The wind passed us, and there was an instant of calm, and now all the air above us was full of a continuous roaring, so very loud and intense that I was like to be deafened. To windward I perceived an enormous wall of spray bearing down upon us, and I heard again the shrill screaming pierce through the roaring. Then the boatswain whipped in his oar under the cover and reaching forward drew the canvas aft so that it covered the entire boat, and he held it down against the gunwale upon the starboard side, shouting in my ear to do likewise upon the larboard. Now, had it not been for this forethought on the part of the boatswain, we had been all dead men, and this may be the better believed when I explain that we felt the water falling upon the stout canvas overhead, tons and tons, though so beaten to froth as to lack solidity to sink or crush us. I have said felt, for I would make it so clear as may be, but here once and for all, that so intense was the roaring and screaming of the elements, there could no sound have penetrated to us, no, not the pealing of mighty thunders. And so, for the space of maybe a full minute, the boat quivered and shook most vilely, so that she seemed like to have been shaken in pieces, and from a dozen places between the gunwale and the covering canvas the water spurted in upon us. And here one other thing I would make mention of. During that minute the boat had ceased to rise and fall upon the great swell, and whether this was because the sea was flattened by the first rush of the wind, or that the excess of the storm held her steady, I am unable to tell, and can put down only that which we felt. Now, in a little, the first fury of the blast being spent, the boat began to sway from side to side as though the wind blew now upon the one beam and now upon the other, and several times we were stricken heavily with the blows of solid water. But presently this ceased, and we returned once again to the rise and fall of the swell, only that now we received a cruel jerk every time that the boat came upon the top of a sea, and so a while passed. Towards midnight, as I should judge, there came some mighty flames of lightning, so bright that they lit up the boat through the double covering of canvas, yet no man of us heard aught of the thunder, or the roaring of the storm made all else a silence. And so to the dawn, after which, finding that we were still, by the mercy of God, possessed of our lives, we made shift to eat and drink, after which we slept. Now, being extremely wearied by the stress of the past night, I slumbered through many hours of the storm, waking at some time before noon and evening. Overhead, as I lay looking upwards, the canvas showed of a dull leadenish color, blackened completely at whiles by the dash of spray and water. And so, presently, having eaten again, and feeling that all things lay in the hands of the Almighty, I came once more upon sleep.
twice through the following night was I wakened by the boat being hurled upon her beam ends by the blows of the seas, but she righted easily and took scarce any water, the canvas proving a very roof of safety. And so the morning came again. Being now rested, I crawled after to where the bosun lay, and the wind of the storm lulling odd instants, shouted in his ear to know whether the wind was easing at whiles. To this he nodded, whereat I felt a most joyful sense of hope pulse through me, and ate such food as could be gotten with a very good relish. In the afternoon, the sun broke out suddenly, lighting up the boat most gloomily through the wet canvas, yet a very welcome light it was, and bred in us a hope that the storm was near to breaking. In a little, the sun disappeared, but presently, it coming again, the boatswain beckoned to me to assist him, and we removed such temporary nails as we had used to fasten down the after parts of the canvas, and pushed back the covering a space sufficient to allow our heads to go through into the daylight. On looking out, I discovered the air to be full of spray, beaten as fine as dust, and then, before I could note aught else, a little gout of water took me in the face with such force as to deprive me of breath, so that I had to descend beneath the canvas for a little while. So soon as I was recovered, I thrust forth my head again, and now I had some sight of the terrors around us. As each huge sea came towards us, the boat shot up to meet it, right up to its very crest, and there, for the space of some instants, we would seem to be swamped in a very ocean of foam boiling up on each side of the boat to the height of many feet. Then, the sea passing from under us, we would go swooping dizzily down the great black froth-splotched back of the wave, until the oncoming sea caught us up most mightily. Odd whiles, the crest of a sea would hurl forward before we could reach the top, and though the boat shot upward like a veritable feather, yet the water would swirl right over us, and we would have to draw in our heads most suddenly. In such cases, the wind flapping the cover down so soon as our hands were removed. And, apart from the way in which the boat met the seas, there was a very sense of terror in the air. The continuous roaring and howling of the storm, the screaming of the foam as the frothy summits of the briny mountains hurled past us, and the wind that tore the breath out of our weak human throats are things scarce to be conceived. Presently we drew in our heads, the sun having vanished again, and nailed down the canvas once more, and so prepared for the night. From here on, until the morning, I have very little knowledge of any happenings, for I slept much of the time, and for the rest there was little to know cooped up beneath the cover, nothing save the interminable thundering swoop of the boat downwards, and then the halt and upward hurl and the occasional plunges and surges to larboard or starboard, occasioned, I can only suppose, by the indiscriminate might of the seas.
I would make mention here how that I had little thought all this while for the peril of the other boat, and, indeed, I was so very full of our own that it is no matter at which to ponder. However, as it proved, and as this is a most suitable place in which to tell it, the boat that held Josh and the rest of the crew came through the storm with safety, though it was not until many years afterwards that I had the good fortune to hear from Josh himself how that, after the storm, they were picked up by a homeward-bound vessel and landed in the port of London. And now, to our own happenings. You've been listening to The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson, read by Paul R. Potts. This audio recording is made available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 2.5 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. Links for the project can be found at thepotshouse.org. Music for Chapter 5 is by Cordell Clear from the album Emissary, available at darkwinter.com. Boat sound effects are taken from the album Thaw, field recordings from Minnesota, available from wanderingear.com. Storm and wind sound effects are taken from the Free Sound Project, 